Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I am your host this week, TJ Hafer. And joining to me today, we have a freelance critic and consultant, Rowan Kaiser. Hello. We have freelance writer, John Bolding. Howdy, howdy. And we have the host of Friends at the Table and Vice's Waypoint Radio, Austin Walker. And we are once again asking you to listen to us uh, discuss Stellaris, uh, which uh, recently received uh, a big patch and expansion uh, in the form of the 2.6 Vern patch and uh, the Federation's expansion, which was supposed to be uh, finally fixing diplomacy, uh, which has been one the, the one major pillar of the game that was not previously addressed by any of the other expansions. Uh, the question is, did it work? Uh, is Stellaris good now? Um, I think this is the time of year that uh, we all, you know, poke our heads out to uh, check and see if the the <laughs> mythical Rowan Kaiser uh, <laughs> likes Stellaris yet. Uh, so why don't you start us off, Rowan? What do you think of this uh, this new stuff? Well... So to go back a little bit, I haven't really played since they added the Civ Five uh, style ascension points or whatever perks. Um, so that that was, I think, the first or second major expansion after release, and I thought that that improved things, but still, there was still just like a gaping hole in the mid game. So I swore, okay, this game is still pretty boring. I will come back when they fix diplomacy, because <laughs> if it was going to be Space EU 4, that was the big thing that I felt needed to be fixed. In that time, they fixed war, or attempted to, and we can discuss whether they did. Uh, and they also worked on the economy, which, actually, economy is kind of a small word for it. They yeah. basically, like, the entirety of how you deal with infrastructure has changed. Um, and they also added a bunch of like uh, little flavor packs, I think they call them. Um, Leviathans being the big one, literally, uh, where there are a bunch of like big ass monsters around in the in the universe that you can beat up and get special things for having defeated. Uh, just like fleshing out the uh, the idea of the world at that point. Um, but as I had said, like. My promise was on diplomacy, and I would check it out at that point. And I actually, in terms of federations itself, I actually really can't see any functional difference between how I remember the game in the past. It's been a few years, maybe there is some. But uh, in terms of particularly the war and economic changes that I missed, and just the general galactic lore improvements or additions uh i think that the game has largely become at least good it still has some major issues but I, it's no <laughs> longer it's no longer the embarrassment in the pds stable good luck <laughs> imperator um, <Yeah. laughs> sorry tj oh, oh, it hurts me it hurts me uh, but yes, we could talk about like what exactly those things were as we go. But in general, if you are if you are tuning in for the uh, where is Rowan after the six point three fiasco? Well, it wasn't a fiasco on my end. I was right, uh, but <laughs> the reaction was a fiasco. Um, I would probably say I am at about you know a low eighties, maybe high seventies score. 
Um, potentially might do a re-review. That's still something I would need to actually like push real hard for and see if it gets accepted. So um, that's not a guarantee. But yeah, that is, that is roughly where I have ended up for that aspect of the story. Yeah, so uh, Austin, what has your relationship been with Stellaris and how do you feel about where it's come in, I guess, the last year or so? Yeah, I'd say it's always been funny because um, Rowan knows that that I've always been uh, a fan of her work. And even going back to the Stellaris review in which we had firm disagreements about that game at the time, uh, I was an ardent defender, uh, you know, of of her right to give it a 6.3. I get where it comes from. Um, I've stuck way closer with the game uh, until a little bit after, I think, when Rowan dropped off. Um, I played through Leviathans and Utopia, and I want to say even through the next one which was synthetic dawn i, I want to say the the robot yeah. one um mm-hmm. and then they did this big they did the big infrastructural um uh update that 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 rowan gestured at before in which they got rid of the entire old kind of tile pop system that they had and replaced it with a much more uh complex system um that i think is probably familiar if you've played some of the other uh paradox games um and i i didn't have the time in my life to get back to it until federations at which point i was like all right i'm going to internalize all these new systems i'm going to figure out what's up with trade routes they've changed how pirates have worked like three times since this game has (laughs) come out um uh and and so for me coming back to this game i'd say i i have been away from it from probably i dipped my toes with megacorp but the last time i really played was i want to say distant stars which is when they first tried that other piracy system and also had brought in some more i believe end game uh stuff but but did not necessarily did not necessarily fix the mid game in any way um federations has taken me uh it brought me you know back pretty pretty strong with the game in, in a real way it's the most i've played it since um like utopia um and i think it's one of those things that that it is it is i think it's worth doing a re-review because of how dramatically different so many parts of the game feel um We'll get into the diplomacy question for now. I'm of the mind that I think diplomacy has more flavor, even if it doesn't have more impact or or, or it doesn't necessarily isn't a a kind of a pressure point or a pivot point of play. Um, um, But I am really happy with the other ways in which they've made the mid game more interesting, especially stuff from, I think, the last micro expansion, the Relics one, where they've done... For, for I guess for people who have no idea what, what what a game of Stellaris is like, which why you're listening to this, but there's like a really there's like a really fun early game in which you're sending your your science ships out to scout the the galaxy, find new locations for you to settle, um, and and bump into inter- interesting galactic mysteries. They've they've extended that period in a real way or that component of the game um, because previously <clears throat> you would eventually get boxed in and it would be impossible to go find that early game research stuff. Where it all get kind of caught up already um and there was nothing that was like a bigger event and now i think was the ancient relics pack they added these kind of like archaeological digs um that that let them flex their writing muscles a little bit and and give some really unique stories that um end up drawing me closer to the science characters which was always a problem in general i think solaris is a problem with like their characters not being characters yeah um, uh, but the archae- the archaeological dig stuff has been so good because it's just it's just short fiction right and that means that maybe it's not super replayable in, in the way that you might hope but every time i get one of those that's new i really really love it and, and every time i see a new outcome i'm like yes good this scientist is like super important to me now because she was taken away by those fucking angel uh uh statues from doctor oh, who man. Uh, oh, man. and 
but I but I got her back, and now and now she's like super important to me, and like that that stuff was really missing, I think, from previous Stellaris, which is not what I expected to see when I came back. I expected to be like the the ardent defender of its new diplomacy system, and instead I'm like, let me talk to you about the economy, trade routes, and short fiction. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it sounds like the three of us have had kind of a similar arc with it, with losing touch and then coming back for federations. John, has your experience been similar or have you kept up with it any more than that? Well, I played Stellaris when it released. Oh, wow. And (laughs) I was vastly, uh, (laughs) underwhelmed by so many of the systems and really intensely disliked the sort of 4X tropes that they ported into the game, blah, blah, blah. Um, Sort of the normal bag of, like, I really like what Paradox does with games, and therefore I don't like what they did with Stellaris. To to Um, give an idea here, um, John sent an email, or perhaps to the Discord, although I'm not sure if the Discord was being in use there, and was like, you have somebody on the show who hates the game, right? And I was like, (laughs) yes, we've got this covered. (laughs) So... uh, Yeah. Uh, John John was on board, or off board, uh, at the start. Yeah, um, and I came back, and I I think I played like two hours right after they released Apocalypse or Synthetic Dawn, right in that sort of middle section, Um, and I was like, well, I still don't like this game. And then, years later here, right, we saw Federations last year when they were doing PDXCon, and... I was like, this is interesting, but it just it's just not quite grabbing me. Uh, and then this year when they finally released it, I was like, okay, I'm going to get in and I'm going to try all this new stuff and I'm going to see what I think about the game. And I was really pleased that they had so thoroughly overhauled so many of the boring systems in this game, the ones that were not interesting to interact with. Um, and I have come to the point where I dislike different points of the game than I used to, which I think is really (laughs) strong because I've been encouraged to have a new opinion, (laughs) right? Like so much about it is good enough that I now have different opinions about what I like and dislike. Um, And overall, some of the other experiences with the game, specifically playing it multiplayer Mm. are much more interesting than I ever expected them to be um, and fun. I so, so what, badly want to get a multiplayer game, and I've never played multiplayer, and it's killing me. It's way better in multiplayer. Stellaris, it's kind of like March of the Eagles. Like, it's it's just on another level <laughs> in multiplayer. You know, March uh, of the Eagles, that that, <laughs> that point of oh, uh, yeah. reference that <laughs> all of us and yeah. all of our oh, yeah. listeners just, are familiar all, with. All gaming radiates out from a center point that is March of the Eagles, yeah. It, it, it is the Far Cry 2 of strategy yeah. games. <laughs> yeah, I was going to do Civ, Final Fantasy 7, Far Cry 2, and March of the Eagles. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm still waiting for March of the Eagles remake. I don't know when that's coming <laughs> Yeah. Um, uh, so, so I'm, that's that's interesting, John. I'm interested to hear what is something now that you don't like about Stellaris that you maybe liked better before all these expansions landed. Oh, things something I I um okay. So th- a, a good example. It's actually not quite what you've asked for, but I'm going to say it anyways. It's like trade, right? Mm-hmm. Trade <laughs> used to be this profoundly boring. 4x system in this game it was so weird and unwelcome right now trade is interesting again it's something that you can actually lever and touch and use and you can use it to 
that there's a reason you would really want to exchange things with other empires. So many of these sort of secondary and rare resources have like a a more firm purpose in the game and can be more meaningfully used to produce something or sort of uh, tweak your economy in small yeah. ways back and forth that I actually care enough to open the trade screen and send offers to other empires and be like, hey, you have a bunch of this resource. I need it. Um, the formation of the galactic market has made the trade into an interesting metagame where you can actually meaningfully like change how other empires are able to interact with you by like say you make a shit ton of minerals right you can pour those into that galactic market and tank the price of minerals across the whole galaxy right and you'll make a bunch of money doing that because other empires will start to buy those up off of that market that's interesting to me yeah the galactic market is one of my favorite new things to mess with for sure i've had entire games where basically my whole play style was just playing the galactic market and <laughs> trying to make as much profit as possible did you find that that was really supported? Because I, so I've not done like a, a really heavy pure economy run in the current game. Did you find that you were able to kind of flex your muscles there in a way that was noticeable or, or to what degree did, did it seem, I mean, you tell me how, how, how did it yeah, feel? Yeah. Well, it's, it's almost a little bit like Victoria too, in, in a way where like sure. kind of the classic thing is you would, you would destabilize a region and then produce bullets and then the price of bullets would go up because <laughs> there's a bunch of wars going on you can kind of do the same thing because i was playing in a multiplayer game and i would you know kind of maneuver behind the scenes to start a bunch of wars and then i had all these alloy foundries that were just cranking out alloys constantly which you need to build and maintain ships and defensive stations and i basically cornered the entire galactic market <laughs> on alloys and was ridiculously rich um so I, it, I like how alloys are functionally manpower. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Kind like of. that's kind of what they end up being, yeah. It, um, yeah, it's it's a really satisfying experience. In general, I found myself really enjoying the process of not just balancing an economy, but building one around particular types of output. I think so much of this comes down to the new planetary like tile system and and, and job system. Um, placing, figuring out how I I guess the the. The underlying thing here I want to get to is planets have character now. In the past, they just had a capacity. Yeah. Um, and they still have capacity, right? You can still get a planet where it's like, oh, wow, this is a big planet and it has, uh, you know, a, a lot of um, uh, places to, to build mines or whatever. But in in, pl in play for me, it's actually felt way more like this is going to be the root of my unity, you know, uh, uh production this is going to be the, the my alloy planet this is the planet where like i can so firmly see and smell the alloys in the air uh whereas this other place is going to be my <laughs> agri planet um not you know, partially because it's it's the stuff that's already built there partially because maybe the species that colonized it has certain you know uh, traits that that push them in that direction but it, it, that was just not happening to me in in pre in in the stars of two plus years ago it was just like basically everything i did was pretty cookie cutter i could min max a little bit but i never felt like um i never felt like like the that system's like um tiered in a, in, a, in a way or layered in an interesting way whereas now I, I like really can get in there and do the fun sort of micromanagement which is like what if i just what if i just put a few more people pull a few more people from clerk jobs into law enforcement to keep everyone on this planet from re from uh, rebelling against me because i just took it over you know a generation ago and they're still kind of pissed about that um and that i i've actually found a lot of a lot of joy in and and 
has made you can't do that without producing like you said before a lot of interesting commodities that you can buy on the market and adding that market layer that kind of galactic market layer is what made that final piece click into place for sure yeah the the value of the economy in this game how interesting it is to actually interact with has gone up a huge amount since release because at release there was food and minerals right food minerals and money effectively right and now there's there are so many interesting economic pieces because there's energy credits credits minerals and food still but then there's also all the advanced resources there's alloys uh your people want goods so there's a consumer goods thing to mess with there's a trade value thing that you can screw around with and trade value is cool because you can use policies to tweak it and it becomes different things like it can become goods or it can become energy or a little bit of both or weird stuff depending on what your empire is and then there's resources like um like you want to build up influence and that is an interesting thing to spend now you can use it to make your empire more powerful um there's unity and then there's all those little rare resources and then there's stuff like bureaucrats right like Mm -hmm. making your empire's administration function (laughs) as a thing as a job set that you need to dedicate population to and that's cool that's really interesting to to tweak right like you can have a planet that is just like a horrible government bureaucracy hellscape but also it's kind of exciting to build that well and they will want to remain that thing (laughs) when you suddenly need more miners they are going to be pissed that you tell them to become a miner they might not take the mining job though it is available um which ran into me i told the story on waypoint radio but the very brief version of it is a long protracted war um plus some of the new uh galactic what it's not called the galactic senate what is it called galactic community uh, galactic counts Count, or, something, yeah, like that. something like that uh, yeah. passed some sanctions um uh based on uh whether or not you your military they passed military readiness sanctions which were or, or laws meaning hey you have to have at least your your minimum capacity your minimum or half of your your maximum uh naval fleet has to be built um and then also passed a law allowing sanctions against uh states that didn't have that which included me which already put me in a frustrating place and it happened right after my my navy had been reduced because of a war and what i hadn't realized while i was trying to figure out where i was bleeding from is one of the planets i took over in this just like status quo piece that came out of nowhere because it was such a messy situation uh, i wound up with a planet that was all alloy factories um and it was and i had been so perfectly in the black with with minerals forever and suddenly there was just this gaping wound on my empire bleeding me and i couldn't find it cuz i didn't i didn't realize what was happening for 5 10 minutes and then finally I'm like all right fine we fixed this and change off what the jobs are and then say like, well no they make alloys this is a planet of people who wants to make these fucking alloys they're going to move <laughs> into a different i need now i need someone to step up or or the people who had previously been you know higher ranked at, on some other places i needed to suddenly go into my energy mines and make me some fucking energy credits they're like absolutely not i'm an artist and <laughs> that that is like the character that you get when you layer these systems on top of each other and that is the stuff that works for me way more than again the new diplomacy stuff so, uh, remember sectors? <laughs> uh-huh. Vaguely. I'd, ra- I'd rather not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I-, I believe I called them a black hole where fun goes to die. Yes. yes. Sectors are gone. They are. They, just... they tried I mean, so many, t- like, they tried, like, three or four different versions of sectors, and none of them were good. 
So they eventually just went, you know what? We're not going to do, we're not going to yeah. do sectors. There, there's still a thing called sectors that's yeah. just you have one governor for multiple planets. But yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think what you're saying is a lot of the what's uh, working about Stellaris now. And I do think that most of the good changes were primarily economic. Um, what I think they have done is, um, well... At sort of the macro level, my big problem with Stellaris initially was that uh, every Paradox game has a hook, and Stellaris's hook was initially like Empire customization, but once you actually launched the game, there wasn't very much of that. Mm. Uh, it was it was like a good setup for a role-playing game cam campaign, but it wasn't actually the campaign itself yet. Um, they... What has been done, as Austin was describing, with how each of your planets now has character and now your characters are starting to have a little more character, um, it feels like you are building an empire in the way that you are, you know, following the path that you are mentally setting yourself to go down or that you can switch it up as you go. Like, some of it is uh, not quite there. Like, I had the big robot rebellion um event happened to me in the mid game and i was like okay after this like i would like my empire to switch from materialist to spiritualist because they're pissed off at robots sure that seems like a good role playing thing and it took like that would have cost like 600 unity which huh. uh or not unity in the other no, one no that one is in unity yes okay yeah um and but, that's a thing uh, that they could have very simply not very simply i'm i don't make games like yes. this uh but you would imagine that there could have been an event at the end of that that there could have been it, understanding that players want to make those sorts of reactions and then either giving them the, op the option systemically to make changes like that based on recent events and reducing costs or just giving you the classic ck2 hey this event chain ended here's one final event chain text box that lets you kind of put the final spin on it what is your takeaway um the dragon age inquisition option yes the, yes the dragon <laughs> i'm sorry apologies <laughs> march of the eagles dragon age inquisition and um yeah that's that's i i'm with you there i am curious really quick just to go back to something i don't want it to get lost the sectors thing um for people again who don't know sectors were a system by which you could automate parts of your empire to allow you had to see so yeah you're right had to because there was a cost if you didn't there was a you in fact could you straight up not expand further or is it just a really severe it was, it, it it was, was penalty, an increasingly yeah. severe tax okay. i don't yeah. Right. Which now there is still a tax on Empire Sprawl. But again, that's about you can just counter that by building by, by hiring more bureaucrats. Um, like you do. Uh, like, like you do. Uh, I'm curious if the I want to like dig a little bit here because the sector situation was, hey, well, you know, uh, this, the game will automate certain things for you or certain places for you so you can focus on the big picture. It never worked. I'm with you that it never really worked. Uh, it wasn't just sending fun to die. It was sending funds to die because they <laughs> never used them well. They didn't know how to build the way I wanted to. I always wanted to get in there and micro more. And it was always frustrating for me. And what I ended up doing was kind of like, all right, which are my least important planets? Which are the ones furthest from, you know, the front line? Which are the ones that don't necessarily have anything interesting going on in terms of resources? Just go over there. It's fine. Go go away. Yeah. Now that's gone. And I'm curious, is the lesson we should learn from this that the AI is just not good enough? They don't have the AI good enough to do sector uh, uh, automation? <sighs> or is it... Or is it maybe, 
is were we misguided? Were we as the people who play grand strategies and four X games misguided six years ago or four years ago, whenever this game came out? I guess it's probably more like four. Um, by being like, hey, what we need is more automation. We need to to be able to take our hands off the wheel. When in fact, what they've given us now is a game where putting your hands on the wheel, doing all of that micro was actually just really enjoyable. Well, well, I, th- I think there's a third option here. Mm-hmm. And it has to do with the initial designer of uh, of Stellaris, uh, Henrik Faros, who had mm. previously done Crusader Kings 2. And, sure. like, managing your dukes in Crusader Kings 2 was, like, a lot of the fun of that game. Or your counts or whatever, depending on exactly. you know, the size of yeah. your thing. So, like, and we it- had a model with Paradox Games that we could go into and maybe expect there to be something interesting here. And it just didn't exist. And I... So, I brought that up on uh, on NoCB, which is my other podcast that's specifically about Paradox games, and I found out something that's going to make a lot of things make sense, which is that Sectors were not a Henrik feature. Uh, that was a Johan Anderson edition uh, to Stellaris, and they were never mm. intended to create drama. They were intended just to take the micromanagement burden yeah. off of the player. And I think that's why they didn't work, and they were never going to work, because unless sectors are going to generate interesting drama in some way there is absolutely no reason for them to exist generate interesting drama or be really really good at what they were actually supposed to do which was reduce micromanagement fair right yeah right right if if there was a lot of interesting stuff to do in this game while you were playing it (laughs) you wouldn't actually want to micromanage a ton right yep totally that's unfortunately there wasn't a ton of interesting stuff to do in this game while you were playing it so so yeah, this is this is the big thing and what we've sort of gotten to or danced around. Oh. Side note, since Austin actually mentioned it for I believe the first time on the show, yes, pronouns different, she or they. Um I haven't done any voice work, so you might not know, loyal listeners, but if you uh follow if you do not follow my Twitter, that might have been news to you. So uh hooray. Um <laughs> anyway. Uh yeah, the the big thing that Stellaris has now is the Sid Meier. There is constantly some sort of interesting choice going on, right? It has, uh, when you get into the mid-game, that used to be, a, I'm going to sit here and wait for something to happen, or I will make something happen. For myself, I didn't like the game because I am a person who prefers to react. Um, I want the world to be like something that is actively pushing me. I want uh, the simulation aspect of it to to get me motivated to react to it and interact with how the world has developed. And Stellaris just did not do that at the time. Um, I still think that maybe at a diplomatic level, it doesn't necessarily do that. But at the economic level and at the military level, it does. And those, I think, are the two biggest changes that uh, made Stellaris actually have an interesting mid-game. Um, economically the big thing is that we've talked about all these resources and all these resources are like actually relevant to the game it's not just you have to build like you have to try to collect all 10 of these different things each of them has (laughs) a different aspect that they you know are important for each of them also like interconnects with each other in interesting ways which i think is the really big one um that's what Paradox managed to get right with Hearts of Iron 4 from the beginning, even as they had to adjust almost everything else with that. There was always this economic simulation in it where uh, 
you always had to balance like, am I building civilian factories? Am I building military factories? Do I want to build the the hot new uh, tank or do I want to just keep churning out rifles? All these decisions were constantly there. Stellaris now has its own version of that. And some of it is putting out fires. It's like, oh, I desperately need minerals now. And some of it is, okay, I need to really build up my alloy capacity. And there is consistently like, it feels like you have the right amount of planets for that now, although some of that will depend on how large of a game you're playing, um, which was always a problem with the initial Stellaris. It felt like you had, you know, dozens of planets to colonize and you could have had the same game with only one and it would have been way better. Now it feels like, okay, these choices are coming at me in at a pace where I can understand them. This, new, this planet has a new building slot. I need to make alloys. Maybe I can convert this whole planet to an alloy building planet. I don't know. But these choices are directly relevant to what you need in the game and add to the role-playing component. Um, on the military side, basically all they did was add like significant restrictions to <laughs> size of your fleet and size of your navy. Um, individual fleets and size of the navy. And suddenly like now there's good reason to just not have doom stacks fighting against yeah. each other now there's actually tactics in the game um or i guess operational decisions um <laughs> where you are you know trying to decide okay do i can i like cut off this enemy reinforcing fleet before it gets to the big battle or do i just want to send my reinforcements into that big battle and also just this ties in with the economy, like, and, you know, examples of uh, the dipl diploma ah, diplomatic aspect, like Austin was talking about, where it's uh, sometimes you are forced to build more ships or else you will be punished. Um, and now you have to, like, decide how to organize those. And maybe suddenly you are in a war and you need to do a bunch of research that will get your uh, fleet command limit up because you're just getting pounded by enemies with twice as big fleets that are twice as big as yours. So um, both of these things, I think, significantly raised the floor on what Stellaris could be. Uh, like, they took the bad aspects and made them largely interesting. And, like, that's that's a good way to get to a good game. Um, the, and there are still tinges of greatness in a lot of the, like, role-playing aspect of it. Um I have still have major issues with the late mid game and the end game that we can get to later. But I think that that's the big, the big thing that uh, I'm pretty sure Martin Anwards changes when he was Stellaris lead, and this this matches what what he did with EU four and what he did when he was a modder for CK two was taking the systems that weren't quite interesting and adding the depth that were necessary for them to become interesting. Like this is. Yeah. This has largely made Stellaris an actual entertaining time to sit down and play, which I had to, you know, force myself to when I was reviewing it back in the day. Whereas when I was trying to, you know, update it for this show or the potential re-review, I was actually motivated to, you know, for the first two thirds of a of a campaign. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and Martin was, so he was in charge of Apocalypse, which was the huge military re rework. And he was in charge of Megacorp which was the huge, um, basically domestic policy rework. It, you know, replaced the, the tile system with the new pop system and all that stuff, which I think, you know, we are all kind of in agreement that those were massive positive changes. Um, but I also feel like economy and warfare were things that needed to be addressed. 
Um, But not as badly as Diplomacy did. And I kind of feel like Diplomacy as as a core system, like we're not even talking about expansion features like the Galactic Community and stuff, like just on a basic level, I don't know if I feel like Diplomacy got the same amount of love and attention that Warfare and the Economy did. Uh, Do you guys feel the same way? Was it you? No, it it didn't because it would would have required uh, a complete redesign, right? The the diplomacy system in Stellaris is just so completely foreign to diplomacy in other paradox games. It's this exchange based trading, uh, much like a a Civ game, right? Like a Master of Orion, and Mm -hmm. it it's really quite weak because of that, right? Um, they tried their best to improve it by adding things like little uh smaller smaller pacts that you could make with other other nations right you could make like a research agreement so you would share your nations would share research and you can make non-aggression packs and there's there are more interesting things to do with that diplomacy now but it's so sort of one-to-one exchange based that it would have been you'd have to take it out and put it back in right and yeah. uh, no no developer on this has been willing to take it apart yet TJ, do you have the the quote that you found on the like dev diary forums where someone asked about like a diplomacy, a pretty simple diplomacy revamp idea, and the designer was like, "We didn't have time for that." And it was like, "What what are we doing here?" Yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the question was uh, something about adding more vassal types or like adding more formalized relationships between empires, and they said, "Yeah, I mean that's something we'd like to do, but it wasn't in the scope of this expansion." To which my reaction was, this is the diplomacy yeah. expansion, so this, I'm. Mm, it's this weird makes it to harder, me. Right, it's going to be harder <laughs> yeah. going forward yeah. to fix to, to fix the core diplomacies uh, uh, like systems because they're yeah. now in all they're inside of all these other new systems. Yeah, yeah it, it's like EU four took like six years to actually decide. No, we have to fix estates. Regardless of the fact yeah. that you know we had put that in expansion before, this is still something well, we need to do. And here's kind of my thesis, and you guys can tell me if you, you agree with this, if you think I'm off base, on why diplomacy is so hard to get working in Stellaris the way that it works in other Paradox games, which I think is, you know, kind of makes it inferior to other Paradox games. Despite being set across the scope of an entire galaxy, it is actually the smallest in terms of actual scope of any Paradox game. Um, if you're not using mods, the highest number of star systems you can have is a 1,000, whereas you know most other Paradox games have tens of thousands of provinces. Um, if you crank everything all the way up, you might have, I don't know, 40 to 50 empires in the galaxy, whereas EU4 has you know hundreds. I feel like the granularity and the locality just simply does not exist in Solaris to have those kinds of really in-depth, nitty-gritty diplomacy systems. They also all exist, all 50 of those empires will exist on one of two tiers, right? Or th- I guess yeah. three tiers in relation to you. They're either they're either uh, a, a sovereign empire, they are a vassal state to a sovereign empire, or they might be your overlord, right? Uh, depending on what your situation is. But that is it, right? There, there doesn't have that kind of... Um, and yes, there are smaller ones and larger ones, and there are the fallen empires, and there are the pirate factions and stuff like that. But there, there isn't that that same uh, sort of like um, scaling up that you find in some other grand strategy uh, titles. Um, and I think that 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 doesn't help. And you don't 
You don't have that close relationship with your neighbors that you do in an EU4 or a CK2 where you're like, okay, I know what their deal is in a serious way because if I don't, I'm going to get fucked over here. Um, I think that that is a, a huge, huge, huge difference. And I think it actually just speaks to their initial goal, which was to make something that blended their grand strategy history with a 4X. Like, they were making a 4X game. They can say it was a grand strategy game, but like it, it, had, it played like a 4X game from the jump. And I think a big part of that was the diplomacy system being so transactional. Um, I'll say it's still transactional, but I do – I will say the, the small improvements that I really like from, from this patch – um, envoys, I like a lot. Um, yes. I like being able to invest uh, and and tech up in envoys and say like, hey, I want to be able to put someone in the you know the state house of all of my rivals or all of my friends and uh, or or now in the galactic community and see that number tick up quicker when two when one of my rivals is clearly courting a third party and I can just drop envoys in there to court them faster. That feels great. Um, I wish I wish there was more to that. I wish it was not just a name that appeared and I click a button and they're off and I'm getting this passive bonus and and spending this monthly influence or whatever the cost is. Um, I, I you mentioned it quickly, but I, I do want to go back and say that I'm happy to have a broader range of agreements to make between between different states um, because we, you said you know one of the things that that uh, you brought up before was. Um, uh, I forget who brought this up around sectors not being a source of drama, but agreements didn't used to really be a source of drama either. Um, now, because there is the research agreement, the commercial pact, the migration treaty, the defensive pact as four different – and the non-aggression pact as like five different types of, of pacts to build, um, I feel like there is a lot of decision making in terms of like do I want to spend my monthly influence to get a commercial pa- pact with this, with this uh, rival of mine? I keep saying rival, meaning just uh, you know a different state. In, in retrospect, rival mm-hmm. is a term used by the game still, so I should not use the word rival. But I like that <laughs> that, that there is a differentiation there. Um, and the last thing of the new dip- diplomacy system that I think is a step but is not enough is the favor system, um, which I don't know if y'all played with those at all. It's um, super broken. It's the most broken thing about this expansion by far. How is it broken? I, I I have not seen anyone talk about this yet, so please here's let me know. The pr- okay, so here's the problem. Well, the galactic community is like the big banner feature of this expansion, yes. which we talked about. It's like the galactic UN. You can pass laws, and like people who don't follow them are in breach of galactic law. Then you can pass sanctions that affect people who are in breach of galactic law. Um, you have a diplomatic weight, which can actually be modified by new laws that are passed that base basically determine how much your the vote rich get counts. richer baby you know yeah <laughs> like, exactly listen <laughs> well i mean it's like good. you can you can try to create like a technocracy by like passing all these like galactic laws that are like people with lots of science get more votes or whatever um you can override that system by spending favors uh which are something that every empire just apparently has an infinite number of and you you can spend any resource to buy favors. So you can just go to the most influential, uh, you know, empire in the galaxy and be like, all right, I'm going to give you all of this resource <laughs> I have too much of, whether that be food or consumer goods or minerals or whatever, for 10 favors. And I'm going to spend those on this resolution because I can only have 10 favors from you at a time. But then I can go ahead and buy 10 more and then spend those oh, on the same resolution. Could, I didn't know that you could <laughs> yeah, dump them like that. That's wild. There's no limit. There's no limit to it. Uh, you can just keep buying favors and batches of 10 and oh, spending them on the same resolution busted. forever. 
It's um, this is the thing is like you can see where this system, if it worked, <laughs> would actually feel great. But I yeah. did not know it was that it was that extremely busted. I I never was cash rich <laughs> enough to try that play, and I should have. I'm a fool. Yeah, I think the problem with them as they're designed right now is that they're contextless. They're like a resource that you right. accrue. Right. It would be more interesting if you could click someone's name when you're talking about a specific resolution and then ask them what it would take for them to vote for it and they say well i want five thousand energy oh credits. i want this like, so okay, bad. cool right the game you sort describing... of give that direct bribe um oh that's that a would, dream that would be a more yeah it'd be a way more interesting immediate system to use than a sort of contextless nebulous favor as a as a resource concept um god i yeah. also I, I think I also rem- haven't noticed that uh, I haven't seen any votes that were like difficult. That's so I haven't really paid any attention well, to this that. Is it was the, like, oh, everybody oh, is on one side or everyone is on well, the other side. This is the other and- thing about their system, right? Is that the way it works is that uh, before things go up, before things go, before a resolution gets in front of the Senate, it has to be <laughs> voted through. I, I, I don't know what the other, but the more generic galactic community body is, but it has to be thumbed up enough. It has to be approved enough to be the next thing on the docket. It has to be tabled, right? Um, and, and at that point, if it's going to get onto the table, it's probably going to get approved because people voted for it to begin with. Um, yeah, thanks for Clarence Thomas, Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Oh, on today of all days. <laughs> Lord. Uh. Um, but no, that you're totally right that like once it gets there, I, I've seen a few things be kind of down the middle, um, uh, but not enough to where I could have thrown my own weight around enough um, to to spin it. But that's that's on me for not poking at the system enough, apparently. Well, the, I've uh, I've seen a few be really divided votes, and um, I I started to see them get more and more divided as I myself weighted the council towards my own power right like i passed a ton of resolutions to make economic uh economic ability the only thing that really mattered in the council and i had you know a bajillion (laughs) votes because the only thing that mattered was how much sweet sweet energy credits your people were rolling in and so i was able to swing anything i wanted basically right one way or the other and then other empires that I was against started voting against things that I wanted, right? Even if they would help that other empire. That's interesting. I will say the other yeah. part of this that does work for me is the sim- is sometimes it's simple. It's I voted against your resolution, and that means you like me less for ten years. And because I know that, when I see something going up for for a vote that I'm opposed to, but everyone has voted for it, fuck it, I may as well vote for it too. Uh, I don't want the negative the negative uh, reputation uh, hit with with my with the people who I'm trying to to court as my allies. And this is how you get the communist uh, state that I was building. You you know, voting for more uh, standardized buzzwords or whatever the fucking <laughs> hyper-capitalist shit was. Like, but I don't want my friends to be mad at me. My, I'm throwing my vote away if I vote against it. Yeah, that, uh, that's the, so, the other... Oh, go ahead. So to go back to what Austin said about the, the little committees that you would go through, um, and this sort of gets to a bigger <laughs> issue I have with... Uh, I mean, issue is, you know... It's not a major one, but it is a part of this and something that I think I have heard talk that Paradox might want to move towards Stellaris 2 earlier than they have done other sequels. Uh And this is one of the things that uh, would have me uh, support that idea. Um, But uh, anyway, like 
when Austin was talking about the little committees, I've seen that screen. I've been on that screen. I thought that screen was just, I go there and I register what my vote for all the future things is going to be. And therefore I don't get the pop up later. So yeah, no, in one game I did that a lot. And then in another game, I didn't do it at all. And, uh, it sort of goes to a bigger issue where a lot of these new systems, while interesting and good, are really not obvious or well documented. Well, that's so, so I unlike played, Paradox. Um, <laughs> well, I honestly, it is worse in Stellaris than any other Paradox game. I, I honestly feel that that might be the case because, like, I am an expert Paradox player at this point. Uh, I loaded up Stellaris again, played through half a campaign, two-thirds of a campaign, I don't know, pretty deep into it. All of my planets were having trouble with housing. I couldn't figure out why. I would just keep building luxury housing buildings when I had the chance. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then I there was the district thing. I couldn't see what it was. Like, I I could see that there was a thing like that. I didn't know, like, it was a thing I could interact with until, in a, you know, fit of frustration, I was clicking on everything and realized that clicking on the, you know, picture above the district (laughs) things actually lets you build the districts. Again, I was, you know, 15, 20 hours into a campaign when I got to this point. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, they they replaced planetary or tile blockers with like planetary obstacles. It took me two hours to find the screen that you actually need to go to to remove those. It's buried. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> well, and I think this actually speaks to something else too, Rowan, which is the this is a game that you can lose an hour two and not know until hour thirty. Um, and that's the case with a lot of strategy games, obviously, but I. F- feel it so much worse in Stellaris when I when I whenever I'm first learning the new systems, right? So like when I first started playing the game, then two years ago and then today, you know, when when I came back to it and I didn't understand the new pop system, that the same thing basically happened to me, which was just like I don't I thought I understood this system. I've missed something huge. My economy is totally out of whack. I can't figure out how to fix it. How is everyone else scaling up so quickly? Um, you know, I'm not playing on, on a particularly hard difficulty. This should not be a problem. And then, you know, realizing that you've, you've missed something very simple because it hasn't been signposted at all. And now I'm 20 hours into a game and I'm caught between the decision of either trying to right the ship that has already sunk, fr- frankly, or starting fresh and obviously start fresh. Like that is the right call. But I've played, I've played for 20 hours. It's like I'm deep in a campaign or 10 hours. You know what I mean? It's very easy to make that bad decision early and then pay for it for the rest of the game. And that's that's really fresh. Oh, I guess the, the key is I think it takes it can take too long for you to realize how fucked you are, you know? Yeah, I completely agree. And there's a huge amount of sunk time, right, into getting a game of this into whatever your preferred moment of the game is, unless mm. your favorite part of the game is literally the actual first four hours where you just go colonize stuff and sort of draw boundaries between your empire and the other empires. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yes, but <laughs> they, made, they, made, they made the parts after that better, too. Uh, they uh, they did they absolutely did i think we should get to that but uh before we do i want to jump on diplomacy real quick because i think we'd be remiss to not talk about the federations aspect of the most recent expansion um which to me playing previously in stellaris the the max size galaxies we talked about a little bit a little bit about this though they represent more 
conceptual space, they are smaller than any other Paradox game. They're tiny compared to EU4, right? They're like a fourth of the size. Not um, even that, yeah. And so, like, the to the total amount of interesting play space is very low. But at launch, those huge, those max size galaxies, you would never interact with 75% of it because of how expansion and movement worked unless you were ready to play a 200-hour single game, right? Um, and not only would you not interact with them, you would never even interact with them diplomatically. You would you would rarely like meet the person on the other uh, side of the galaxy. Yeah, totally. Why would um, you? They wouldn't. They there were lots of things you literally were not allowed to do with them because you didn't share a border, because there was no tension. Like it was just off the table, one hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. And the galactic community adds a ton to that, um, because you will inevitably care about what everyone in the galaxy wants and likes, right? But the federations, I think added a ton of interesting stuff and i disagree with austin's comment earlier about uh not about other other states only having a, a few ways of interacting with you a few tiers of interaction because of the new federation mechanics you get these early federations forming and that blocks uh political areas of the galaxy out right so you can have these federations form and they can be ideologically opposed to each other over time and that will create interesting wars and fights and diplomatic conflicts between large er larger areas of space in the way that like you can have those big conflicts between like poland lithuania and the holy <laughs> roman empire in eu4 you're totally right because i you know i i don't know how i blanked on this the story i told earlier about uh you know suddenly coming into a planet that was making a ton of alloys and not even realizing it was on my board was because of a federation war i was in it, the reason it slipped my mind while i was playing was because i i didn't go into that war with any malice i was like oh i guess i guess we're in this war now yeah i'll support it let's see if i can snap snatch some stuff up um and it did bring me in contact with uh, the other half of this was I didn't tell this part. I was the planet I took was, you know, through two or three other borders away from me that I did not have a direct line back to me. And I just wound up with it in the peace process, right? Um, and you're right, that that only happens because of the way the federations work now. And and I I think the federations might work now. Um, I didn't like them ever before. They were an easy way to like um, throw money away, I guess, and not feel like you were in control of your own assets. Um, but now, and I've only done a, a hegemony. I haven't gone back and tried like the trade league or the research cooperative. I'm curious if anyone else has, because I'm curious if like the research co-op just really speeds up the tech, the tech tree stuff, or, or what. But the hegemony was really interesting for me because the federation I was in was not necessarily ideologically aligned, but we it really did feel like. Um, it really did feel like a group of people who would have torn each other's throats out instead deciding to tear <laughs> other people's throats out. Uh, and the the bonuses that you get from hegemony, I guess, again, the, the way that the federation system works now is that over time, your federation levels up and you get new passive abilities through that. Right. For, for yeah. hegemony, it, it's primarily about 
um uh gaining um it's it's kind of just like gaining more for you as much as possible um <laughs> so there's some like additional military stuff uh it some of it is like just you get more resource uh, resources out of your jobs um uh but it's also stuff like uh one of the big ones is you get a new war goal you get to just establish hegemony war goal which lets you declare very simply uh and that is very useful if what you want to do is like knock some doors down uh and so the fact that they've added these different federation types definitely helps the fact that there's a reason to try to stay in control of your federation in the same way that you can um you can uh in the galactic community vote for for uh, certain things that have more diplomatic weight internally you can decide that based on it's a complicated it's a weird system because <laughs> you can game it very easily early on when you start a federation at least in my experience um, there's kind of a rotating who's in control. Um, and then it's in that period at which you can kind of decide, hey, what if we went to a system where instead of uh, voting on a president every 10 years, we did it, um, you know, every 40 years, or we did it every time uh, a certain um, uh, kind of meter or a certain, a certain measure um, uh, is is changes hands in terms of who's in, in the lead, right? Like you'd say, oh, hey, we're going to do this based on uh, economic strength. And if the leader is ever surpassed by 25%, that the person who, or the, the faction that surpasses them takes takes control of the Federation. Um, and you can totally game that towards you. I was boxed in in one game by the Federate, by my, my co-Federation members and was clearly the weakest, but I kind of rushed tech and, and decided like science was going to be the thing I did. And I very early was like... And also, whoever's good at science should be in charge of the Federation. And my two big bodyguard co-empires were like, yeah, that sounds great. And I was like, I think you mean that sounds great, boss. And, and, and like ran that Federation and used them as like my strong arm for the bulk of the mid-game. Um, and, and then you know, eventually I expanded out and, and actually lost control of, of the, the Federation. It's a long story. But that stuff does work now in a way that it really, really, really didn't. And yet I don't want to say that that means the diplomacy system works because it's almost like a different system entirely. Once you're in yeah. the Federation, you're not engaging in that the, the, the diplomacy play, you know? Yeah, well, but- yeah no, you're, you're absolutely right. It, it's not the same thing as the diplomacy, but I think it's uh, similar enough to diplomatic effects from other Paradox games that my brain <laughs> lumps it in. Yes. Yeah. And that's also sort of a thing that John was talking about earlier when he was talking about trade was uh I said like does it when he said it's interesting now and I thought he meant uh the trade routes which you get out of your like God. star oh. uh, sure. star Stations bases, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Which I right. I like that I get money from them but half of them say they're not connected to my main trade route and i have no idea why or how or how to fix it <laughs> if, if anybody um, knows how trade routes work uh please help my empire is dying this is, <laughs> um, this is literally <laughs> the sort of problem where if i could sit down at you know how sometimes you know, a parent will call you and go like yeah my microphone isn't working on my computer anymore and i'm like i could if i was there i could fix this i could sit down yes. and, that is how i feel about trade routes in solar <laughs> yes and that is exactly the truth <laughs> But I could, if I could I am get it physically working. present, I can make <laughs> yes, them function. Yes. Otherwise, the magic does not work. It doesn't. Yeah. Uh, well, I, like I think I feel like the federations interject some interesting decisions in the sense that, like, if you're forming all these like commercial pacts or research pacts or whatever non-aggression pacts to protect your borders, 
you're eventually going to run out of influence, in, especially in, in a larger galaxy, um, because they all cost influence. So it's like, okay, I'm incentivized to form a federation with at least some of these fools just so that I can get my influence yeah. back and I st can start colonizing more systems. Um, but then once you're in the Federation, the interesting decisions come from the fact that your XP accumulates based on how unified you are in ethics. So we could invite this other empire that might be a threat to us later to the Federation, but, you know, we're all xenophiles and they're xenophobes. So they're going to, you know, tank our XP gain, which is only offset by you have to assign more envoys to the Federation to try to get everybody to get along, basically. So I think those two sort of considerations do add a lot more to the diplomatic layer and, and the diplomatic decision making. Um, I do wish it was a little bit more like I think I was talking to Rowan at one point about how you could fix a lot of what's what's wrong with the tension absent in Stellaris by making it like Hearts of Iron where everybody was eventually going to join one of like three to four mm -hmm. ideologically based factions that are going to go to war at some point. Um, and federations can work that way. They don't always end up working that way. Uh, that That is how I've seen them working, right? Yeah. Where you, have, you end up with four or in, in the large, <sighs> the biggest galaxies at least, you end up with four or five federations and they're all sort of opposed to them, each other in some basic yeah. way. Yeah. Well, here's and then maybe a big fat neutral or whatever. Here's here's the thing though is that you can just skip having a federation, or at least I did you in can. You can. my main game, and like I don't feel like I lost anything. I didn't actually need any help. I my military was in good shape. My economy was in good shape. My uh, um, tech did not seem to be significantly behind anybody else's. Uh, other than having like a giant war at the same time as the robot rebellion, like <laughs> I didn't lose any territory. Um, and this is, you know, sort of an in-game issue with Stellaris that, you know, used to be the big mid-game issue was that if you just didn't want to do engage, then the game would never engage you. And I think yeah. that's still sort of the case, uh, especially with something like that. There's nothing that says you have to be in this federation. It could be advantageous to you. Um, Maybe I just need to play on a harder difficulty, but that the ones that when I Sounds tried to me that, like it, you, you should have established a hegemony, right? So you can uh, sort of make others your subject, right? I think I think the game doesn't push you towards that button as hard as it yeah. should right now. I don't even know what that button is, but it's also that like <laughs> once I got once I got to a point where like my economy was relatively stable, my wars were like wars of curiosity, right? Like that someone had, <laughs> someone had an L gate and right. the L gate led to the Desura nano people. And I had pissed them off by clicking on diplomacy wrong. And so I wanted to go see if I could beat them up. So I went to war with the other empire to see if I could get the L gate. I did. And then I went to, you know, go poke around and blow up the Desura, but like nothing was hitting me from the other side of my empire at that time, you know? Um, right. So that, that's, that's still an issue in the late game. But again, this is something that would hit like five hours in a Stellaris game, uh, you know, on release, but is now like 30 hours in. Yeah. I don't think you're wrong. Uh, and I think, I think you hit on something really key earlier, which is that as you, as you play this game, 
It is very self-directed. A lot of the most interesting stuff is going to happen because you invested time into learning how the game works. The game will not just automatically past the first five to seven hours of, of any given play, just throw interesting stuff to do at you. Uh, and so you have to care enough to go and figure out how the systems work and care enough to figure out how to add planets to a sector which is buried in the ui and care enough to be like oh i want to form a federation this game Mm -hmm. a lot of this game is still driven by your personal decision to sort of create a science fiction civilization and then sort of role play as it right totally Um, i mean this is i think uh john you and i the last episode uh of three moves ahead that we were on was um six ages right um i think or yes it, or king of dragon pass one of, one of the two uh Glorantha games um and uh, uh i think there's a degree to which solaris has always been pulled but especially now between like a traditional 4x and then and then a grand strategy game with a lot of narrative in the in the six ages uh king of dragon pass sense more so post the um the archaeology uh, mini expansion um and and it it unlike unlike uh i mean, maybe this is the weakness of it is that unlike something like king of dragon pass it doesn't have enough t- enough text um but unlike a, a regular unlike master of orion like it isn't going to it it still demands you care enough to be the sort of narrative gm of your own game you know and it i i always want more tools for that sort of play because it's the sort of play i love the most um and stars has gotten better at it for sure but it it hasn't necessarily i think specifically it's still really bad at onboarding people to that sort of play and encouraging them to poke at the parts of the game that that uh could be really fun if they knew what the fuck it did you know yeah yeah, yeah absolutely i agree and i think that so much of it is that it needs to have more effective mechanisms to encourage the player and teach the player to play as the civilization they've built. Right. Instead of, for example, in the game, if you make a xenophile civilization, then you end up in a war or a pacifist civilization, sorry, and then you end up in a war, they're more likely to be unhappy and they get war exhaustion faster and things like that, right? Those are just penalties. The game just penalizes you for not sticking to your guns on what you said you were going to do while playing. And I wish that instead the game would encourage you to do things. And if you're playing as pacifists, it would encourage you to reach out to two empires who are at war and give you an event chain to get them to make peace, right? I think those would be much more interesting ways of representing this sort of role-playing aspect of the game and giving it more narrative focus would be to really double down on these interesting big weird event things that can happen in Stellaris rather than simply adding more percentage pluses and minuses well Well, this is a paradox issue overall or like a history of the company right yeah this is how eu or eu started was your national flavor was determined by events. You play as Russia, you're getting Boris Gudinov events. <laughs> um, with EU4, they decided to move to, like, there are still events, but they are not the ways that things happen. They wanted systems that would have these events, you know, encourage them to exist based on, you know, you have a weak monarch, so you don't have good monarch points, so you fall behind in tech, so you start losing wars. Uh, like, th- those are 
fairly effective in EU4. I would say really effective, though I know some people dislike the monarch points. Um, so Paradox as a company has kind of moved away from this idea of having like the big events. They still tend to have them for flavor, but uh, like I can see why they maybe wanted to do it a different way with Stellaris or try to. And as Austin said, there's this tension between the narrative component of it and the systems-based thing. The issue is like Paradox had three incarnations of uh, Europa Universalis, Universalis before the fourth one. So they could learn what worked and what didn't. Um, Stellaris, like they're operating in a different genre and they don't have the historical aspect of it to lean on. Um, and to go in a different direction, one of the things that I have always kind of wanted from this, from Stellaris, maybe not always, as I thought about what, like, what would get the in-game feeling urgent to me, is uh, if it stopped moving off of this, like, Star Trek, Babylon 5, whatever model towards a Warhammer 40k model where your empire by virtue of how you develop inherently basically you know becomes horrific you you know you become a technophile and you have all this like you know robot rebellions or body horror type of thing of you know half human half robot things that are you know creating making you horrific perhaps to your own empire perhaps to the empire at large but basically you head down a path at which point you can't return from it and everyone is angry that you have headed down that path. Like a level of darkness to the game that just isn't really there, I think would do a lot towards making the end game. But, um, but technological, but technological progress always just leads us towards happiness and hope. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it always makes our lasers 5% faster. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yes, uh, this, you know, getting back to the in-game thing, as I mentioned, this is the point where, you know, two-thirds of the game instead of one-third of the game through is now the point where I just sit and stare at the screen and hope that something happens. Like, um, I was talking with TJ about this on the Discord where it was like, I am waiting for the giant in-game event and it's not triggering and I have no idea what to do to make it trigger. And, you know... TJ's going through the patch notes and it's like, okay, these things might happen at this point and every five years after like 10 years from where I was, that might start happening. Or the big Fallen Empire Babylon 5 Vorlons versus Shadows event could start happening. But as TJ noted, like, yeah, that there's maybe wouldn't happen if you didn't have enough Fallen Empires, especially Fallen Empires of different ethics. Yeah, there's um, only a 40% chance of it happening, even under ideal conditions, which I think is crazy, because it's like if the League War only had a 40% chance of happening in EU4. <laughs> like, that's one of the biggest, most interesting events of the game, and I always look forward to it. And this patch, I thought it was bugged. Because I had five fallen empires and the war in heaven was not triggering. And I was like, oh, it only has like a 45% chance to happen. What is that? Yeah, uh, and you know, Paradox, if you want Rowan to score your game higher, make sure <laughs> that you have the Babylon 5 event. <laughs> yeah. there's, a, there's a surefire way into your heart and it's Babylon 5. Yes, Every except time. for the Warhammer 40k thing I just mentioned. But other than that... <laughs> I, I think that you're onto something with the analogy of Warhammer 40k, where by virtue of the way you've... A little bit a little bit of a different idea than you've said, but by virtue of the way you've chosen the ethics of your empire, 
I think that is what should truly decide your conflicts with others, right? Like, if you pick militarist, or if you pick pacifist, and another empire is that other thing, you are never going to get along, right? And that adds this inherent, interesting conflict to the game. Um, and I think that would be a viable model for, like, a Stellaris 2, right? The the thing that these later Stellaris expansions, I think, ended up doing was make me interested in continuing to play the series past the first game. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess the upshot of it all is, is you know, is is this a good game now? Is this a game we can recommend? I feel like I'm I'm on a very similar page as where Austin was, was talking about at the beginning of the show, where I think the best stuff, a lot of the best stuff that's been added is the stuff from, like, Ancient Relics and uh, Distant Stars, where it's these kind of, like, discrete little narrative events um, that, you know, that's those are a lot of my favorite changes. Um, John, where are you at? Where Would you recommend Stellaris to someone at this point? Yeah, I think I would actually situationally recommend this game to to groups of people over other paradox games previously i definitely wouldn't have recommended it um if someone had asked me is there a good sci-fi 4x or grand strategy that's out right now that i can play i'd say no um <laughs> now i'd say hey you should play stellaris you might like it okay so austin you you kind of liked it you know to some degree from the beginning w would you recommend it now to people who were very skeptical about it originally i think it's a hard question right because i, I need to, i need to know what you were skeptical about um i know people who were skeptical about it largely because what they had hoped in their hearts for from paradox was ck2 in space character driven a much you know a broader focus as as we've talked about the the map size is, is much different um but 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 smaller you know familial drama uh character driven lots of lots of character traits um uh generational in nature um not that this doesn't have a long time period but i don't know that anyone thinks about their stellaris games in those terms even if you have a beloved scientist or or you know president or whatever um and those people are no like no this is still not that this is they're not making that game uh, at least not yet and 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 this is not going to to give you uh, what what you need but if you came to it knowing what it was um, and finding that the mid-game was, like, really boring for you, um, finding that there was not a lot of character in your empire, and that one run to the next main, mainly meant, you know, maybe you changed, I mean, at the time, uh, what type of FTL you were using primarily. P.S. Bring back more uh, FTL types. I love multiple no. FTL types. No. I know that they're bad. Keep them far I know, away. I know that they're bad. Someone please figure it out. It's cool. <laughs> um, uh, uh, this is the thing, right? It's like... It, if those are your issues, now is actually a much better time. Like if, if you generally thought this game just didn't work, but I understand what they're going for, and I and I think that if they you know do more than tighten the screws, but rebuild some some kind of load bearing some load bearing structures, they they've they fixed most of those structures. They really have. Um, it works now, and I, I think it's worth it's worth giving it a try, especially because. I don't know what else I would point them to at this point if they were looking for a sci-fi 4X or grand strategy, which is a larger problem, probably. I mean, you would point them to nothing, too, but you would just <laughs> uh -huh. politely tell them that they could play some endless space too, but they will eventually become bored of it. <laughs> yeah, uh -huh. yeah. yeah. That, that sounds about accurate. It, it, that one's pretty good. And yeah. uh, I have not wanted to return to it at all. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, Rowan, you you joked a, a while ago. I think it might have been like this the first Dolores episode we did of of three MA that it would be game of the year twenty twenty. Uh, do you feel <laughs> that it has lived up to that expectation? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Did you re listen? We're all that episode. I just have... kept I just kept that comment in my back pocket all this time. Oh my yeah. God! Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that is so Rowan. Oh, 2022, maybe. Okay. Um, oh, no. <laughs> we'll see you guys again in two years. It's, it's uh, <laughs> two years away from being two years away. Um, yeah. No, uh, like one of the ways that I have ended up talking about Stellaris with people a bunch is people who are like, I would like to play a strategy game, but I think Paradox's historical strategy games are scary. But but they're so good. You can play medieval. I know EU4 is a kind of a weird time period for Americans, but it's still so good. Um, uh, yeah, we, we don't really sit around and talk about like how, you know, 1450 to 1815 is like that. That's not like in our cultural lore as a time period. No. Um, yeah, it's actually uh, it's it's all of history up to 1066. And then you skip straight to 1776 that pretty much yeah American history works yeah yeah um you Nothing i mean you might have a, you might have a like early renaissance thing but definitely not like getting into the 18th century anyway uh people find the, the paradox historical games fairly imposing and they're not necessarily wrong about that or they don't necessarily have the appeal just because you know some people like lasers and some people like you know muskets um hi rob um <laughs> the uh so you know, I would always say, no, still don't do Stellaris. Like, that doesn't make it an actually good game. Please <laughs> listen to me, for the love of God. Um, but now I could say, you know, like, Stellaris is good. I would still put it behind Hearts of Iron and CK2 and EU4. And, um, you know, I think, God, I don't even know where I'd put it against Civ. I'd probably carve that part of my brain out let's say it's behind endless legend as well um but like no it's not going to be a terrible thing for someone to play as an intro to strategy <laughs> games or an intro to paradox like if if science fiction is what they want or if like you know a non-historical thing is what they want or just a way to get someone to know the Clausewitz interface yeah. like this this is no longer the embarrassment which is a really good thing. Um, and as mentioned, like there's lots of it that I actually enjoyed. I could, I don't know. My taste is somewhat soured on it because I spent so long trying to get an in-game event and didn't get it. Like my last two or three sessions were just nothing happening. Um, but I was like actively interested in playing it again, which is pretty important for a strategy game that you're going to invest 30 odd hours into. Um, so yeah, like Stellaris is, it is a functional and good game. I don't think it's quite a great game. It has some great aspects to it, but, uh, I, I can actually recommend it. And that's a huge step, I think, for my right. journey, if not paradoxes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, uh, as oh. many, oh, go ahead. Before we wrap up, I have one thing I, I have to say it for the the 3MA listeners who have been in this a long time and really care about us and what our opinions are and really are in and understand the 3MA spirit um this game still has 
shipbuilding. Oh and my it's still god, bad. it's still bad. <laughs> it sucks so bad. I hate I, it. I, I just don't, I don't pay attention to it anymore. I just put everything <laughs> on auto. Yeah. You, uh, here's a thing that's worth saying is you can get fucked by that if you're in a federation because you can end up. You can end up in a situation. All right, so they made it so I know we're wrapping up. They made it so uh, there are certain rare resources that are necessary for certain ship components, like advanced shields. There's a way in which this happened to me in one of my games. I don't know how to re- to reproduce it, but my default, my like best design would put that there, even though I personally had no access to that resource to build those shields but my fleet design did because whoever was running or my my uh my federation fleet design did because that whoever was at the time building those ships had that resource i guess i don't know but it meant that i had to go in and manually remove this one component from all of my ship designs <laughs> that i literally could not build because i didn't ha- i could have gone to the market and bought that that uh resource i guess um but i'm just th- the ship building is still not great i still don't like it at all but also, so, I don't know what. So you were an American is. client state, basically. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, they exactly. call you a valuable ally and send you the bum F thirty five. Oh god! Oh man! Well, on that note, uh, as always, uh, you can uh, join the discussion uh, over on uh, the Idle forums at uh, idlethumbs.net slash three ma. Three MA is supported by listeners like you on Patreon. Uh, so go on over to patreon.com slash three MA uh, if you'd like to contribute to that. Um, what's all the other stuff Rob usually says at the end of the episode? I always lose my notes. Uh, Production <laughs> ahead is produced by Michael Hermes. I believe, I, I believe he's back. I believe he's back in action, uh, is from my understanding. So. <laughs> I, I don't um, know if he's permanently back in action. It could be we'll, we'll, Keith we'll Carberry. See. It could be TJ Hafer. It could be, <laughs> it could be any, yeah, any number of other people. It could the, be the, you, dear listener. This could episode was produced by you. It's like that year that they did you as time person oh of the year. Uh, or the end of Final of Fantasy VI. Yeah. Uh, so uh, for John, for Austin, and for Rowan, uh, this is TJ Hafer saying goodnight.